This is New Classical Tracks from American Public Media. If you're enjoying this podcast, the best thing you can do for the show is to tell somebody else about it. Help spread the word and take a moment to rate and review us on your podcasting app. Recently, the members of Time for Three, two violinists, Nick Kendall and Charles Yang, and bassist Renan Meyer, and composer Kevin Putz, were live in studio to talk about their new recording, which features two concertos written specifically for them. The very first by Jennifer Higdon, and now that journey continues with a new concerto written by another Pulitzer Prize-winning composer, Kevin Putz. Now, not only did we talk about this new recording, these four musicians performed two pieces exclusively for you to hear on this podcast. So let's get things underway with Time for Three and Kevin Putz and talk about their new recording, Letters for the Future, on new classical tracks from American Public Media. I'm Julia Macher. First of all, I would love for each of you to introduce yourself, because it's been a while since we talked. In fact, I looked it up. It was 2014 when you put out your debut recording, uh, when all the uh, commotion was happening, when you couldn't get your instruments on the plane, and you got all kinds of great press about that. (laughs) And you also have a new member since then. So I'd love for you to just give me an update. What's been happening since that initial debut? Well, this is Kevin Putz. He's our fourth member. <laughs> yeah, this is, our, this is our new member of the Composer band. Composer in residence. Time for four. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, it builds the brand. We're just changing it to Kevin Putz. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's a bigger brand, so... <clears throat> no, really bad idea. <clears throat> yeah. Great no, to be here. <laughs> yeah, no, I, time for three. Um, we, we've been on a journey for a while, and I think, you know... Um, uh, when we started out, it was it was this band that was was discovering kind of like this love, meeting on common ground with classical music, but just you know this desire, uh, inquisitive nature of like wanting to explore all different genres, just because you know to us music is a language, and uh, you know as we 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 kind of evolved um, and met up with Charles Yang, uh, Nick Kendall, and myself, Renan Meyer, the the group has um, you know really been on a journey into this now more. I guess living in this classical world, this classical genre, but wanting to push it forward with original music. And, uh, you know, now uh, fast forward here, um, and I guess what we're maybe here to talk about a little bit today is our recording with the Philadelphia Orchestra, which features um, Jennifer Higdon's work, which is the very first concerto that was ever written for us back in 2008, commissioned through the Philadelphia Orchestra, Pittsburgh Symphony and Wheeling Symphony. And our latest concerto that we're super excited about uh, by Kevin Putz, uh, which has just been this remarkable um, experience because, you know, Kevin, in addition to being uh, this sensational composer and, you know, really also very like-minded time for three, um, writes just gorgeous, rich music that is incredibly storytelling in nature. But, but also, um, you know, as members of Time for Three, Nick, Charles, and myself, just pushes us forward on our instruments as, as what we can do and what we love to do. So, Charles, I would love for you to introduce yourself since you're the newest member. Tell us a little bit about you and when you joined Time for Three. Yeah, um, I joined in about six years, five, five years ago. Yeah. Um, so 
yeah, the last time y'all kind of spoke, I was yet to be part of the band, but we're very like-minded uh, musicians, and that's why it works. You know, um, when I got the call from Nick, I've known Nick, I don't know, a little longer than I've been in the band, and um, and I got a random call from him one time, <laughs> <laughs> and I, of course, uh, it was a voicemail that that led to uh, us going over to Renan's house to just feel things out, just to to play some music, to jam. Um, we all were kind of in the same field of classically trained, but loved to venture, um, improvise, and you know, kind of experiment with sound. So we went over, and um, it just instantly kind of clicked. We spoke the same language, uh, the same dialects too. So um, you know, it's 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 kind of it's a lucky thing to be able to find your bandmates your bandmates that are kind of your soulmates too. You know, we love and we hate each other. And that's a beautiful <laughs> thing. That's a Amen. really beautiful thing because as a band, you kind of have to have all these emotions. And um, and we've really been able to create together um, as one. And with Kevin, with Kevin's music right now and Jennifer Higdon, we get to kind of collaborate in that regard as well. So I'm very lucky, very lucky to be part of this. Well, let's get Nick involved here. Nick, how did you discover Charles? Did how did you find him? Uh, you know, Craigslist. Um, <laughs> yeah. just one of those postings, missing connections. Twenty five dollars per session. <laughs> yeah, and um, <laughs> so good resource. Yeah, good. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think uh, Renan and myself, we've been doing this thing for quite some time. Renan and I always, we felt like Time for Three was always representing this this new generation of artists coming from classical music who were experimenting and ultimately wanting to reach out to their, you know, their friends who are maybe not so used to this niche world and trying to make connections. And while we were doing that in Philadelphia, Curtis, and really making some inroads with our careers... We heard about this kid kind of doing the same thing up in New York at Juilliard. We're 10 years ahead of Charles, but it's really amazing to to kind of see the chronology of how Charles kind of came about his, where he is as an artist, um, being brought up in Austin, Texas through classical music, just as a fellow violinist, kind of the same journey, similar uh, me growing up outside of Washington D.C. and doing a lot of experimentation by I I was really into the urban R&B scene in D.C. and on the weekends I'd have these bands in high school, um, but I also had this bucket band that we'd go out into the streets of D.C. on the weekends to make money. But it's really cool to kind of see how similar those two worlds between myself and Charles, and then of course Renan, kind of having a similar approach, not really getting into classical music through classical music, but through jazz. Um, and we can talk about more of that. But so, you know, when you hear, like I said, I think everybody understands that classical music is a very niche world. And especially when you're in school, and especially when you're in an amazing school like Curtis or Juilliard or Colburn, the networks are really tight and people talk to each other, right? And so we heard about this, this young dude, um, <laughs> Charles Yang, and we, and we, he was, he's been in, he was in my ether, kind of like in my thinking about him. And when Renan and I had this moment where we needed to think about the new direction of Time for Three, he and I like 
it was not a, it was not even a discussion. We both said we got to call Charles Yang, and we both texted that almost at the same time. Well, I, I just remember just being at Juilliard and like Nick and Renan are saying. Um, while I was there, you know, their career was 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 at a high at that time. You know, you you guys, I think, had Higdon already, but y'all had all these videos on YouTube, like. Um, these arrangements, these beautiful, gorgeous arrangements. And I remember coming home a couple times and my roommates would show me this band called Time for Three. And we'd watch, I think, Hide and Seek and Hallelujah. And um, and that's how they got into my world. It's like, oh, cool. These these guys went to Curtis and they can really play and they make gorgeous arrangements and um, and, and write some gorgeous music. And yeah, it was it's, it's crazy to think that now yeah. we're... We're five years, six years deep, <laughs> and it <laughs> but, took and it took a moment to really figure this out. Like Charles talks about how we met at Renan's house. Well, that was that was really important because I think all three of us are smart enough to know that you have to, you know, you're gonna. We're talking about a relationship here, right? It's not just kind of like you know, hey, do you want to play a gig here or there? This is like, does do we need? I mean, will this work um, as humans? For us, very much so. This strange instrumentation of two violins and bass is not on purpose. It's only because the humans that <laughs> sort of play those get along well together. And so that really worked. But we, but Charles also came with this incredible new tool, um, which is vocals. And we sort of were at this crossroads where we we're thinking, all right, well, one option is just throw the vocals on and let's just go. Let's just do a vocal thing, right? But then that really felt like that's not doing justice to, you know, all of this amazing, we feel, the three of us feel like we stand on the shoulders of all the great masterworks. So like studying the music of Mahler, playing Mahler's music in orchestra, um, there's nothing in life, like there's nothing, there's no existence or experience in life playing a Bruckner symphony from beginning to end. So how do we incorporate all of this stuff plus our just desire to connect with we really want to connect with people who normally don't come to the concert hall but on our terms and um, not necessarily by just doing covers all the time but through our organic process and creativity and we decided to really take time and explore that and well if i remember correctly too I, there was this logistical need which is we already had these shows right and we needed to we need to like sort of plug charles into right. our current rep so we could actually play a concert so it was like blitz get that stuff done get it in the wheelhouse and then we had to get a photo shoot because you know we had a new image right we had charles in the band so we wanted people to know about that and I remember at our photo shoot, we wrote our first song together, uh, which is our song Joy, uh, our original song. Because, you know, we just have our instruments and we can't stop playing them. And then, you know, boom, there's the, the song. And, you know, we're just sort of yelling a word and it sounded a little bit like oi and then ended up being joy. Oi, oi, oi. But <laughs> it should neat. have been oi. <laughs> yeah. And it was this need to like, you know, I think just, you know, find a new, you know, wear a new hat, get, get a new suit, suit going. And it really wasn't until uh, we met Kevin that, we're really pushing forward now this new um, existence in, in this great genre. Well, let's dive into this new recording. It's called Letters for the Future. And at least for Nick and Renan, this is kind of a homecoming of sorts for you. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, um, it very much is. Because as I was just kind of rambling on, sorry for that, it, it's we sort of went on this journey, but 
coming back with Charles, coming back to our roots, which is, you know, our instrumental playing and really experimenting with genres. When Renan and I were at Curtis, you have to think about what, what year it was. Um, it was, you know, the late 90s, like 1999, early 2000s. The famous movie, Oh Brother, Where Out There, came out. Um, Coen Brothers movie with an incredible soundtrack that really represented Americana and very specifically a lot of instrumental music and a lot of, you know, bluegrass, um, country, but it was very kind of of the times. And, you know, you had that famous album, Mark O'Connor and Edgar Meyer and Yo-Yo Ma came out with Appalachian Waltz, which blew my mind. Here you had some classic, like the best classical artists, but sort of leaning into Americana. And at that time, that seemed so natural for Time for Three. And so when we had this incredible opportunity with the Philadelphia Orchestra, which is right down the street from Curtis, um, Time for Three played this gig for the Philadelphia Orchestra, and Maestro Eschenbach was at that party. And he said he saw this energy from us, and he thought, well, if I could put these virtuoso musicians in the hands of a master composer... I wonder what that could be. And so we had a meeting with him and, and both of our lists had Jennifer Higdon, who was a teacher at Curtis. And Jen had seen us play kind of our, our take on American music. And the idea came about for her to write a concerto that celebrate through her language, celebrates the American tradition and specifically bluegrass. And that, that is a concerto four, three on this album, which um, like Renan said, was premiered commissioned and premiered by the Philadelphia orchestra. And, now we get to come back and record it with them. It's, it's, it's incredible. It's mind-blowing. And it backs up even farther than that because, you know, I, I grew up in the Philadelphia area uh, and my parents took me to all their children's concerts and family concerts. I fell asleep in the seats, you know, and woke back up and was blown away. Um, and then later in life, you know, went to Curtis in Philadelphia and then got to play in the bass section with the Philadelphia Orchestra as a substitute, go on tour with them, and then actually get to solo with them with a band that I co-founded. So, you know, be careful, parents, because if you take your kids to that orchestra concert, they may end up doing something like that. Um, so it's really surreal. You know, it's like being a baseball player and loving the, the home team and then, you know, somehow playing in that stadium someday. It, it yeah. feels really, um, really wild. And it's a pinch me experience. And to consider the fact that now we have a concerti recording uh, full album with them on Deutsche Grammophon is just like, I mean, it's nutty. It doesn't even make any sense to me. It in doesn't my make head. sense but it happened somehow. And you actually knew Jennifer Higdon when you were attending Curtis. She was teaching there. Did you ever encounter her there? I know she had she had overheard you guys jamming or something. <laughs> I, I went up to Jen my first day at Curtis to get out of her music history class. <laughs> I transferred from Manhattan School of Music and uh, I had already done my music history, but they wanted me to start over and I was trying to find all the precious time I could to practice because I needed to catch up to all these remarkable musicians that just blew my mind. So I went up to her, you know, hat in hand, and I said very politely, is there any way you can get me out of your class so I can have the time to practice? And she was so sweet. She said, oh, yeah, well, you know, I, I don't mind. Just talk to the dean. <laughs> and she knew the dean was going to say, no way. And uh, actually, she had to leave that year, so I didn't get her as my teacher. I got, oh, wow. uh, David Ludwig actually oh. took over for her, who's now the dean in Juilliard. 
Well, at that time, did it ever even occur to you that she might be writing a concerto for you down the road? I mean, was that kind of mind-blowing when it happened? I mean, if it would have occurred to me, I definitely would have asked her to get out of her class. (laughs) So parents, watch out, all right, when your son tries to get out of music history class. She wrote this concerto for three over a three-month period after she had a chance to meet with you and understand your unique musical voices. What was that experience like when she was sort of studying you and learning about who you really are? It was, honestly, it seeded the idea that soloists within the genre of classical music, which of course has the story tradition of composer going off into his or her room, castle, like for us artists, you know, you think of the castle on the hill and then presenting you with the music and say, go learn it and go perform, go out into the world. But for us, that, that really seeded this idea that, my God, we could create something together. And again, from all of the band experiences playing playing in music where you're improvising and coming up you're coming up stuff through improvisation and improv sessions and just experimentation the idea of doing this with a master composer was like really exciting um and that's what happened and so we spent a couple days um where she uh had her computer at and was recording just our sessions and she said all right do I remember one set you guys did out in Fairmount Park and you guys were doing this incredible rhythm thing. And what was that? And we we did the thing and she recorded it. We basically just went off the wall and did crazy stuff. And it wasn't until much later when she presented us with the first, you know, manuscript paper. And we're looking at that. We said... What is this? This is impossible. This is, what are you doing? And she said, well, no, I just transcribed what you guys played. And it blew our mind. When you're not, when you're not thinking about it from the written page and then making it your own, but instead it's the reverse of that. When we were just improvising, and then it gets put on paper, and then put right back in front of you, it just blew our minds. It was impossible to play. It too. was totally impossible to play, which was a really, and it was also really in that moment, both for her and for us, it was a cool moment to unpack because she said, okay, well, I want you to do what you did in the jam session. So if what I'm writing is messing you up, just do that thing that you were doing. And we would listen to it and we're like, oh, okay. And it may have not been exactly like, what we did in the original jam session, but she, she was going for the energy. She was saying, I want you to, she gave us like the subject heading and then we put the actual words and in our own voice. And that has been a process that has stuck with us. And of course, when Charles joined, it was just like glove in hand. I mean, it was like amazing fit. And um, of course now we do that. Um, everywhere, and of course, we'll talk about that with well, Kevin. I just, I just want to add, though, you know, I came in much later from when the concerto was written, um, right? And the, you know, for my violin part, I remember the first time <laughs> learning the Higdon. I got the music, and the first couple pages were all these scrub markings. They're like these, um, these sixteenth notes that had, um, you know, it had these 
a different kind of note head on it. <laughs> and, I was, and I thought it was chopping, you know, I've chopped before and I've, I've done a lot of extended techniques. Um, but this was something that uh, I came in, I remember, and was like, how do you do this? And they did the scrubby, the scrubby sound on the violin, which I've never done before. Um, and I said, how did that come about? And, you know, it was so interesting just to hear how, you know, Jennifer Higdon had just been in the room and the past member, Zach, right? Um, this was something that he used to do. He, was to, he used to make the scrubbing sound and it made it onto the page and it starts the whole concerto, <laughs> <laughs> you know? And, and that's when I like, uh, you know, having played, you know, as a classical musician, these concertos and that you study, um, this was the, like, the first-hand experience of how a, how a you know, composer curates or sculpts something with a specific artist. And Jennifer really did that with this with this piece that I uh, later had to learn. You know, uh, I'm, I guess I guess that's kind of a the lineage, right? Like, yeah, totally. Um, yeah, that's really cool. I mean, we almost like think of the beginning of this concerto as is like a uh, number two eraser, uh, back the number two pencil, uh, erasing something. You know, and that's like how the whole thing starts. It's like starts like you know the composer is like you know erasing something like a mistake, and then and then the, the music starts to get built and written. It's uh, yeah, really creative. There are lots of sound effects in 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 this piece, which is I don't know the way I generally describe her her work is. Um, she, she's going to describe it better than me, but it's like contemporary classical meets bluegrass, you know, and there's this like, you know, explosion, which is really, really fascinating. But, you know, then the journey, like all the way to, you know, four concertos later, you know, with, with Kevin and um, a, a, a totally different approach, you know, total complement to this initial journey, but now with, with his work and his ink. Same creative approach, though. Yeah, let's let's talk about that. And we have the composer right here with us. Woo-hoo! Yeah. Oh, yeah. Studio, um, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Y'all don't see how handsome he is right now. He's yeah. very handsome. Very handsome man. I know, Radio. kind of a George Clooney look there. I was thinking he as does. you were yeah, talking yeah, about that movie. That. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Well, my hair is getting grayer for sure. So that's <laughs> well, I want, let's talk about the very beginning. We just talked about the beginning of the Higdon Concerto. The beginning of your concerto, Contact, is also unique. in that it starts with the vocals. We're actually listening for sounds out in the universe somewhere. Talk a little bit about the creativity and the idea behind that. Yeah, you know, it. I didn't, that wasn't the plan, you know, um, and I didn't know what it, you know, when I heard that sound, um, I didn't really know what it meant at the time. But I had gone to see these guys play, um, just one of their, their gigs at uh, Joe's Pub in New York, and... Of course, their amazing virtuosity as performers was, was of course, the first thing that, that you notice. Um, but also their, the kind of vibe, the kind of collaborative, just the way they, they, they sort of merge as performers and, um, and complement each other so beautifully. And they sing so well. They, they, I just thought that was it kind of, it'd be an interesting idea to start with nothing but the voice and um, like a three-voice sort of chorale and the most kind of um, fundamental and, and simple music possible. 
and then gradually elaborate on that. Um, and so, but yeah, as far as like it being a message into space, that was, I didn't really think of it that way um, until later, actually, once we sort of realized what we were working on, really, which is a, a piece about all the different forms of contact. Um, um, and, uh, but yeah, that was, um, I, when I came up with that idea of starting on a single pitch, the three of them on a single pitch and then opening up into a very simple triad. I always like, I, I feel much better when I can start with something simple um, and direct and, and immediate for the audience. Um, I always feel much more confident rather than starting with complexity. Talk a little bit about how this work evolved because, Kevin, as you just mentioned, it started out as kind of just a triple concerto and evolved into contact. And some of that was related to what we were going through during the pandemic. Would you offer some more insight about that, please? Yeah, I mean, these guys can chime in anytime too. I mean, it's because I really do feel like it's been a collaboration. And as I compose the piece, I, I, you know, I really do write in a very linear way from beginning to end. You know, I don't um, often know where I'm going. And I, I actually like that approach because it's more exciting to me um, to, to discover the piece as it, as it comes. And so I began with this movement that, that be, begins with this very simple um, sort of a, a hymn or, or a chorale that is repeated and eventually the group um, you know, um, accompanies the orchestra who plays it almost in response to them. And then that movement kind of evolves into a, um, a more um, kind of a rich lyrical uh, movement and a sort of moderate tempo. second movement just bang it's 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 just driving and relentless and extremely virtuosic sort of a short four minute scherzo kind of toccata And then from there, um, you know, the music that begins the third movement is much more bleak in some ways. And it's like there's, there's, a, there's a bleakness that I, I don't know why I had this image. And I think even at that time I had this image of like, and it could come from film. And I don't even know exactly where it comes from. But like an abandoned vessel floating in space. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> just like hanging in space and it's discovered by someone you know and um which i think is actually a film <laughs> like i think it might have been this the the sequel to 2001 I, i'm not certain on that but but um 2002 but, no 2010 wasn't it or I, I, anyway but but uh but anyway um but then it's like the group like that's the orchestra 
they play this music that just sort of hangs in the air, and there's a sense of them, you know, wanting to 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 you know bring warmth and expressivity into what they're doing. But then when the trio comes in, they sort of allow that for the orchestra. They inspire it. And for some reason, that that movement became about about contact for all of us, and like about closeness, and which has been, of course, so absent over the last couple of years. And it's, it's such a strange and difficult time for, especially for us musicians, you know, who who want um, to feel um, contact with the audience that we're we're playing for, that we're writing for, with each other between composer and and um, musicians. I mean, a composer writing at home, you know, in isolation can only last so long. Everybody says, oh, it must have been a great time. You could, you know, <laughs> write all this music and, you know, with all this time at home. But actually, you need the feedback. You need the, you know, um, hear, like you were saying with, with Jennifer, like for her to hear you play and then transcribe it and then, and then work with that again. Like that kind of interaction is so important. And then we knew we needed to, to end f with a fast, exciting last movement. Um, there needed to be another movement. And, you know, um, a long time ago, my son is a, is a cellist. And uh, at the time, I think he was nine years old. And I was at his recital. And I was trying to figure out what to do with the last movement of this piece. And his, his teacher, this amazing cellist named Nicole Johnson, she has her students do some really interesting things. And she had all of them play in unison, like 12 young cellists, um, this Bulgarian tune with a very jaunty sort of asymmetrical Bulgarian rhythm. And I thought, oh, something like that is really, is perfect. And um, I'm, gonna do, I'm gonna go home and try to improvise something like that. And when I started working on it at home, I realized actually I would love to just use this tune. And that was like, for us, I think we thought of that as another form of contact. Like, this is this tune that's been sung and danced to for years in, in Bulgaria. And what if I played it, we play it our own way, like with my harmonic sensibilities and my language. And it's almost like as a, as a means of reaching across like a cultural barrier. And I thought of Bartok's... Um, Romanian folk dances, which is the same kind of thing, like brought his own voice to these these ancient, these old old tunes. So anyway, for so many reasons, the piece felt like it was about about contact. And then we went back to the beginning. We thought, what if that chorale that they sing falsetto with the opening is like a message sung, you know, out into space, you know. And um, so anyway, that's why we call it Contact. Wonderful. Well, you're all sitting in a beautiful studio with your instruments right in front yeah. of you, including you, Kevin. You are seated oh, at the yeah. piano. Mm -hmm. And I know you have some music you'd like to play for us. Should we start with that Bulgarian dance that the four of you have been working on and made a video about? Who would like to introduce that? So... We we had I forget after the pandemic we had this opportunity for some festival 
It was a Sun, Sun Valley. Sun Valley. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Sun Valley yeah, yeah. Summer Symphony Festival. And, yeah. Or Sun Valley Summer Symphony. Right. Where we've been. That's right. And so we, we thought that it would be fun for the presentation because we were supposed to go play it there. But um, we were here in New York taping that. And we called up Kevin and said, hey, why don't we do a version with you of the of our take on Gunkino Horo, the subject matter <laughs> Um, this Bulgarian folk song for the last movement of our concerto. And so do a remix. And so that's what we're going to do right now. And it's a lot of fun. We've been now doing this a bunch uh, kind of in different places, but it's cool. So, yeah, we'll uh, we'll get started on that. You test any levels? Are we good to go? All right. All good. Have fun. <clears throat> Thank you. 
Wow. <laughs> All right, that was a good one. That was fun. Oh my God, you guys were having so much fun. That is amazing. This is why I love my job. And yeah. Thank you, Julie. Thank you. You want to do one more piece? Yeah, well, this is, um, you know, I think one of, you know, in addition to playing these remarkable concertos, you know, Kevin's piece, and then of course, Jennifer's piece, um, you know, we're given this luxury as, a, as an ensemble to create our own cadenza. Um, we're going to play... Uh, our cadenza from Jennifer Higdon's Concerto for Three. This happens in between the first and the second movements. And it's a take on the thematic material that she has in her first movement and second movement. Then we, we put a little twist to it. A new recording called Letters for the Future, featuring the ensemble Time for Three. Thanks to Valerie Kaler, our producer, for new classical tracks from American Public Media. I'm Julia Macher.